This episode of Just the Right Book is sponsored by Libro FM Audiobooks. To receive three audiobook credits for $14.99 during your first month of membership, just go to Libro.fm, L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter code R-B. I'm Roxanne Cody, and welcome to Just the Right Book. We're a podcast for curious, enthusiastic, and engaged readers. Our job is to help you discover new books in all genres, give you unique insights to your favorite authors, and of course, keep you up to date with what's going on in the literary world. Hope you're all enjoying this holiday season, and we are going to help you do that. I am delighted that we got to have a conversation with Dory Greenspan. Uh, we talked about her new cookbook, which is as wonderful as all her cookbooks, uh, called Everyday Dory. And Dory, not only did we chit-chat about cooking and entertaining, we put together the perfect meal that you can do ahead of time, whether you're a good cook or an average cook or an aspirational cook, that will make you be the most brilliant host. So here's my conversation with Dory. We are joined today on Just the Right Book by Dory Greenspan. Now, here's 11 things about her that she was willing to share with us. She was born in Brooklyn when it wasn't hip and groovy. She burned her parents' kitchen down when she was 12 and didn't cook again until she got married. She's married to Michael, and she's been married to him since she was a junior in college. She's mom to Joshua, formerly known as The Kid, now a recently married grown-up. And Linling, the wife of The Kid, is now part of the family. She gave up working on her doctorate in gerontology to bake cookies in a restaurant basement, a a logical transition that we'll talk about. Uh, She's the on-dessert columnist for the New York Times Magazine. She's written 13 cookbooks. And her 13th cookbook is what we're going to talk about today called Everyday Dory. This cookbook was born on October 23rd, so it's a Scorpio like its mom. Dory has five James Beard Awards, one for journalism, which is kind of cool, and one for Baking with Julia, and one for Baking from My Home to Yours, one for Dory's Cookies, and one for being voted into the who's who of food and beverage in America. And if you met Dory, she's like this tiny little powerhouse. So to have done all these things, like, I don't even know where she got enough body to uh, do that. She's won the Cookbook of the Year Award uh, from the International Association of Culinary Professionals uh, twice. And she's been on the New York Times bestseller list twice. She lives in three places, New York, Westbrook, and Paris. Somebody's got to do it. And yes, she knows she's lucky. Here are five things I would add about Dory. Dory is a culinary guru. Reading her cookbooks is like having Dory in the kitchen with you, not to mention well-written. The pictures will make you hungry and ambitious to cook. Dory's cookbook ensures success for the insecure cook. And Dory is the most contagiously generous person I know. Dory, welcome to what? Just the Right Book. <laughs> what an introduction. Do we still have time to talk after that? No, that's it. We've covered that's everything, it. Dory. We're, we're all done. Oh, 
Thank you. So, Dora, you have a doctorate in gerontology. No, I'm all but dissertation for a doctorate. Oh. I never I, – <laughs> that's the one deadline I didn't meet. Uh, well, but how did you even get from the idea of gerontology, which is like an academic Study science, of aging. Yeah, yeah, to becoming a baker? Passion. <laughs> no, actually, Michael, it was a million things. So I went to graduate school. I was working at a social research center, and I wasn't doing the scientific part of gerontology. I was doing the social science mm-hmm. part. And I was fascinated fascinated by it, and I loved being in school. Um, I loved studying. But when it came time to finish my dissertation, I just couldn't imagine that that would be my life. At that point, the kid had been born, And it was my husband, Michael, who said, you know, why don't you bake? And it had never occurred to me. But where did that come from? Like, where? how did he even conjure that up? Because I was baking endlessly. I I would would come home from school and I would bake. I'd come home from work and I would bake. I'd come home from work and school and I would bake. I just loved it. I taught myself to bake. So you didn't go to, like, culinary school or cooking school? Ever? Ever. Ever. So you're totally self-taught? Yep. I was lucky enough when I did make that change to start working at magazines where I was introduced to fabulous chefs who allowed me to work next to them. And so I learned, I had a a kind of informal apprenticeship, I I think of it as an apprenticeship, Mm -hmm. but yeah, I'm self-taught. And one of the big uh, breakthroughs, I guess, in your career was you were working with Julia Child on PBS. Is that was? Would you call that a breakthrough? It it would have been if I had been lucky enough to do that. Oh no, but she oh, asked you to write. After, that's yeah. right. Yeah. So yeah, so she was. She had you know done fabulous stuff and and was just. I met her in 1991 when my first book came out. And um, that was I, – I, So how would you meet her, like literally? Your first cookbook comes out, which right. is called – Which was called Sweet Times. That was right. the one that my mother oh, bought. Oh, I still have it. Oh. I have Sweet Times. Oh, I have such a soft spot for that. Of course I have a soft spot That's for that book. That's the cutest little it's book. It's adorable. I dream of cooking from that book. Well, you I know, think I've only made your brownies from that cookbook. There are other things you could make. You think? I know. I know you okay. could. All That's right. right. All right. Um, so, so I'd written the book, and I was asked to um, be part of a day long series of demonstrations at Boston University, and I was petrified. Jacques Pepin was then was there too. Oh, and Julia, our mutual friend. Yeah. So Jacques Pepin, Julia Child, and. Dory Greenspan, the newcomer. It's a logical. And, and Julia was so nice. I did my demo, like shaking, shaking, shaking. And she came and she put her arm around me and she said, there's a dinner after this. I hope you'll sit with me. She was so... Uh, did she, you have the right outfit? Great. You know, I don't remember <laughs> what I was wearing. But with Julia, that was not... Yeah, yeah, that was not an issue. That was not an issue. And during that dinner, she turned to me and she said, have you ever seen the imitation that Dan Aykroyd did of me on Saturday Night Live. And I said, Julia, I must be the only person in America who's never seen it. And she stood up. She was six feet tall. So she kind of like loomed over the table and proceeded to do the entire imitation. It had to do, if you don't know about it, it had to do with the chicken. And Julia slicing her arm and blood (laughs) and chicken 
little, all parts of the chicken flying around. And finishing with Julia saying, I could never do a Julia voice, but she's saying, save the liver. <laughs> and so she did the whole thing. And it was after that we kept in touch. And about four or five years later, she asked me to write Baking with Julia when, you're right, she, it was the PBS series that she was um, doing. Yeah. But there wasn't a cookbook yet. Connected to it. No, and I did the cookbook to go with it. And that was, you're right, that was a breakthrough. That changed my life. Um, It changed the way I wanted to work. It changed my feeling for what I might be able to do. Mm-hmm. And and Julia was such a big part of it because she was so encouraging. I mean, of course she was a big part of it, but she was so encouraging. Yeah, She was just generous and warm and right behind me saying, you can do it. You can do it. I know you can do it. So, Dory, was it was that an unusual arrangement where you have a chef of that kind of renown who would bring somebody in who was also a chef, but to write the cookbook? You know, is that, that unusual or it's not unusual now? But as I'm as I'm hearing you ask then, the question, I'm wondering if it wasn't unusual then. You know, I don't know. Now, of course, you see a lot of cookbooks that are written um, with writers or with other. And in fact, after working on Baking with Julia, I realized how much I loved working on other people's recipes that I then went on to write the Cafe Boulou cookbook with Danielle Boulou. And two book, who's a New York City, um, well, he's now international, but he was at the time a French chef in New York City. And I wrote two books with Pierre Hermé, the French pastry chef. Do you find yourself wanting to refine the recipes? <laughs> I mean, you're a baker, so you're, you're a journalist. I consider you a journalist and a, and a baker. What I I very rarely, and I, I never changed anybody else's recipes well, of course without not. no without without talking to them. But what I did do, and what I loved doing, was making their recipes workable for ordinary mortals. Yeah, you know, taking what what previously was only done in a professional kitchen by professionals, and finding the way to explain that. To home cooks. What I find all your cookbooks do, aside from being their own story, you know, I find that it's a little memoirish, you know, conversational. Food comes with a story. Yeah, exactly. But the other thing is, so here, this is a recipe for, I'm going to call them French cheese puffs because I couldn't possibly say it And I'll call them gougere. Okay. You'll <laughs> call them gougere. I'll call them French cheese puffs, which I do want to get back to. So here's like in the, in the recipe. Add the flour all at once, lower the heat, and immediately start stirring energetically with a heavy spoon or whisk. The dough will form a ball, and there'll be a light film on the bottom of the pan. Keep stirring for another two minutes or so to dry the dough. Dry dough will make puffy puffs. So that little two sentences includes the kind of information that might panic somebody, like to go, oh, my God, why do I have this light film on this thing? This is a mess. I'm doing it. Wrong. And all your recipes anticipate the thing that you might ask or notice. I think maybe that comes from being a home cook or a yeah. home baker. Um, but I try. So I work on a notebook. Mm-hmm. I mean, eventually I go to a, a computer and 
and input all of this, but I work by hand, and I take notes as I'm working. What does it look like? What does it feel like? Does the color change? Wow. Um, because I think these are really helpful clues yeah. and cues for cooks. And because I can remember when I saw a batter in my mixer that looked curdled, and I can remember the panic and the joy of discovering that, oh, put the flour in and it's all better. And so I really, the only job of a a, a cookbook writer, I think. Well, I think there are two jobs. One is to get people excited about going into the kitchen and cooking something. Mm-hmm. And the other is to make sure that they're successful. Right. So that you make something that you're proud of having made, you feel that great sense of satisfaction, and that you want to share it. So I think that's my job. And if I can help with these little don't panics, or it will look like this, or it always looks like this, or it might look like this, in which case, hmm, maybe a problem, <laughs> maybe a problem, um, then, then that's one way of being helpful. So let's talk about this cookbook. It's called Everyday Dory, The Way I Cook. What prompted you to write the book? You know, I had done mostly pastry books and Around My French Table, which was published eight years ago. Wow. Yeah, it was, it's a 2010. That yeah. seems impossible. And all of that time between Around My French Table and today, I've been cooking. I cook all the time. I bake and I publish a lot of recipes about dessert and books, but I'm always making dinner Mm. for my little family, for friends, for parties. And I love doing that. And so I wanted the opportunity to share the kind of food that I was making at Like real everyday food. Well, and it's different because over the past eight years, I've been spending a lot of time here in Connecticut. And so... Michael retired. Michael retired. I, I never thought he really would, but he did. Yeah, he retired and he's home. And um, and he wanted to be in Connecticut. And so I'm here, away from, you know, the open-air markets of Paris, away from the little specialty shops in New York. And I'm shopping primarily at the supermarket. Mm, like and, the Stop and Shop. Like the Stop and Shop. And, um, I mean, farmer's markets when they're available. Open or Bishop's, which is right. a farmer's market here in Connecticut. And a great place to shop or Fromage, which is a great specialty shop. But mostly I'm at Stop and Shop or the Big Y. And I realized that I was making delicious food with a lot of flavor and a lot of interest from very, very basic ingredients. Mm. And it really wasn't until I had most of the book put together that I saw this and realized, ah, around my French table was my Paris cookbook. Um, Everyday Dory is my stop and shop cookbook. It's my Connecticut book. And while I don't think my style of cooking has changed, what I was using to get that style and to get that flavor to really become more basic. I mean, one of the recipes that caught my eye uh, here was the Moroccan spiced chickpea and noodle soup that you could also add Meatballs. Meatballs to and make it a full meal. It's a, it's a hearty soup even without the meatballs. So that's a traditional recipe that I, you know, fiddled with a little bit. But it's a, for me, it's a fascinating recipe because it has chickpeas. It also has pasta. It can have meat. It has wonderful spices from North Africa. Um, like cinnamon and cumin, turmeric is in it. Yeah, so all of these flavors. I love those flavors. I love them too, and I love them 
I love them together. Mm. And then, um, you know. And it looks pretty easy to make. You can do it. You can do uh, it. I, I, this looks like is. something I could I think, do. I don't think there's anything in Everyday Dory that you couldn't do. Just well, saying. I'm yeah. going to go with that. Yeah. I oh, mean, God. Like, look at this beet soup with fennel. Isn't that beautiful? Oh, my God. Who does your photographs? So with- this book, the photography, was done by Ellen Silverman. And I think it's beautiful. It's gorgeous. It's as simple as the recipes. It's beautiful, but it's beautiful because the ingredients are beautiful. Like this beet soup has cucumbers, strawberries. Yeah, so this is the cold version. Is that rosemary? Um, fennel, fennel. Fennel. Fennel leaves. Um, and I put ice cubes right in. I mean, this is not the season for it. But when that season comes back, um, I put ice cubes right in the soup. So it keeps it the soup cold. It also um, thins the soup a little bit, which mm. is nice. And it's so much fun to have an ice cube in a soup. I mean, it's just, it's unexpected. It, it makes a nice little sound against the plate. It's You know, the other thing fun. that occurs to me as I, as I look at this recipe, which I just sort of arbitrarily turn to, is how food is so evocative. So my dad, who died 12 years ago, loved... What, I, what we call borscht. And so, like, looking at this picture or eating beet soup, I'm with my dad. Now, I'm sure there's – I'm sure that's true for everyone, I right? I think we all have – we all have those memories that it may be not of borscht, but they're food <laughs> – no, but no, I'm laughing because Sunday I was talking to a young guy from Lithuania, mm-hmm. and he said, I saw your soup, and you called it beaten fennel soup, but I call it borscht. Yeah. He said, and I made it, and I loved it. It's not my mother's borscht. Yeah. But for him, that's that's you know. That's I was, what it was laughing because um, our son. We have one son, like like, uh, like you like do, him. Edward, and Edward was lives in Boston. He was having a Hanukkah party, and he needed my mother's recipe for potato lactis, which she has the simplest recipe for potato lactis. And uh, Edward said afterwards, he said they didn't come out right. But there were two things that struck me. One is. In the in a recipe box, which I never look at, except for the cards that I did with my mom oh, for her did. holiday recipes. Now, my mother, as a woman of her time, did not measure anything. Of course not. Right. So I spent uh, a weekend with her when she was in her, I'd say, early 70s, late 60s. With measuring cups and my hand, uh, you know, before she would like just, drop it in a bowl like just or pulling her hand aside to, to say, okay, to measure, measure it all out. So the funniest thing is, so Ed, I give Edward the recipe and he calls. He said, you know, they just didn't come out right and I can't, I can't figure it out. So I said, well, tell me what you right. did. So we remembered something that my mother said was critical to her potato lactis. What was it? breadcrumbs that were not merely breadcrumbs, like Edward used some fabulous uh, bread that he made into breadcrumbs. No, Progresso Italian Italian spiced breadcrumbs. Spice. Critical. Critical to the potato lactose. Like, who knew? But, well, and you didn't know enough to write it when you were writing the recipe. No, I had written it, but I hadn't told him. I just said breadcrumbs, but... Then I realized that underneath I said Progresso Italian spiced breadcrumbs. But this is why, 
this is why food is so interesting. I, I, just to go back to Julia for a moment, we were playing hooky from, from taping one day. We went to the supermarket. That was Julia's idea of fun. And, um, and it was fun. And she said to me, out of, the, out of nowhere, I mean, she just put her arm around me and she said, um, we're so lucky. And I said, yeah, why? And she <laughs> said, yeah, I didn't know what she was thinking. And she said, because we work in food. Mm. She said, and because we work in food, we're always going to be learning. For the rest of our lives, mm. we're going to be learning. And I think with food, you always learn something. There's always more to learn. There's always there are, like, the connection that you're talking about, the little nuances, yeah. the small things. It's a fascinating, fascinating... Well, and it's an intersection to me of science and art. It's an intersection of science and from yes art. I was going to say there's 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 something emotional about it as mm. as well. I mean, you looked at the beet soup and thought of your father and borscht. Yeah. Edward wanted to make his grandmother's latkes. F- food connects us in ways yeah. that are are profound and and is evocative. I think yes. You know, you'll eat a meal you remember where you first had it or, you know, well, certainly, you know, people who struggle with weight often are emotional about getting the, you know, comfort, food mm-hmm. comforting right. them in a not, not in the best way, but in the most perfect way, it's comforting because it evokes a moment or it connects you to an event or a person. Absolutely. And it also gives us, as as the cook, it gives us the opportunity to be very generous to share mm. something of ourselves yeah. to 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 provide that comfort for someone else. Yeah, you know, when I we had an event uh, once at the bookstore. I mean, it was actually off-site. It was in New Haven, and it was Julia Child and Jacques in conversation. And the question that was asked of them is, "Who is your ideal person to cook for?" And Julia named some people, but Jacques said family and friends because it's an act of love. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I and I do, I see that yeah. um, with people who relish the part of cooking that is feeding friends and family. I think that it also, I find cooking a pleasure. I find mm. every, every part of Except the dishes, but Michael does the dishes. But yeah, I do the dishes. Kev's cook. Kev okay, cooks. yeah, I yeah. Mean, we made that deal years ago. Yeah, so did we. Um, but that the process of cooking, I find to be a great pleasure, mm. and it doesn't have to be complicated food. It's just the act of using your hands to make something that you're then going to share. And so, when I was working on the book, the Every recipe became something that I shared because because I needed tasters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but also it was so – now that the book is done and bound, um, I look at it and it's kind of a journal of the years yeah. that I worked on it and the people I fed. So let, let's do this from the cookbook. It's December – Okay. People are having family, friends over. Some people are aspirational about what they could do. So I want to try and assemble a meal. Oh, here. good. Okay. Okay. So first, we need an easy 
hors d'oeuvre. We have people coming over. You have to have a little bit out before. Right. That's always where people sort of punt. They don't know what to do. Well, I know what to do. Good. That's why we had you here. (laughs) So, well, I would love everyone to make gougere because that's that's my signature welcome to my home. And you can freeze that, right? Well, yeah, that's the best part of it. So you make the dough. And you spoon it, or I use a cookie scoop, that's easy. Scoop it into little balls, freeze it. And then when you're ready to serve them, you take them from the freezer to the oven. And so you're serving something hot and delicious, and the house smells good. But if you're not ready to do that, you can... And is that really easy to do? It's so easy. Yeah, it's really easy. I wouldn't... I would. I wouldn't steer you wrong. Gougere, Gougere sounds... Is that what Union League serves before dinner, the restaurant in New Haven? I haven't been for a while, so I I'm think not that, sure. I think that's but, it. Um, They're wonderful. Yeah, so it's, it's you know, think cream puff but cheesy. And it is something that's easy to make. And I double the recipe, so I always have 100 Gougere in my freezer at all time. And you can just pop them in the oven? Pop them in the oven when people come. But if you don't want to do that... Um, three suggestions. Okay. Um, the honey mustard salmon riette. So that's just a mix of smoked salmon and very quickly poached salmon with mustard, um, grainy mustard and honey and dill and capers. And you just mix it up. I put it in a canning jar because I think it looks pretty in that. Mm. And it can be served on um, little crackers or toasts or scooped with endive leaves. And it's delicious. And easy. And easy. And Hard just, to mess up. You can't mess it up. Yeah. You put it in the refrigerator and it just stays there for a few days so you can work ahead. I like putting it in the canning jar. That's kind of cool. It's very I mean, it, it just looks good. The other possibility is um, pimento cheese, which is so much fun. Really? Yeah. I consider that so 50s. Reconsider. Okay. Okay. This is so delicious, and I make this in the food processor, so it's a push-button recipe, no skill needed, and um, served with celery sticks, it's great. Served with a Bloody Mary, it's really good. So that's a second possibility. And the third is even simpler – it's the ricotta spoonable. So it's ricotta mixed with chopped herbs, um, lemon zest, lemon juice, olive oil. I keep this in the refrigerator all the time. I just make it and use it on um, like crostini. I put it over vegetables. I And that stays good in the refrigerator yeah, for a long yeah, time, yeah, yeah. right? I spoon it into pasta. But as an hors d'oeuvre, it's just a nice light. light yeah. And it's very pretty with all the herbs. I love food. I'm not a decorator. I'm not a fusser. So I like food that's just, you make it and it looks pretty just the way it is. So, Gougere, Salmon Riette, Ricotta Spoon. Fabulous. Okay, Okay, good. And if we wanted to put together a cheese tray. Three different, at least three different kinds of cheeses. Look for shape, look for different milks. Okay. Libro FM is this fabulous service that allows you to purchase audiobooks, and it's essentially as if you're buying it from your favorite local bookstore. 
but you do this all online. It's an app. You download uh, the books, and you can pick from more than 100,000 audiobooks, including the New York Times bestsellers, and recommendations from booksellers around the country. So here's what happens. When you go to Libro FM, you get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You might know their name. I'm not going to mention them. But you're part of a very different story. You're part of the independent bookselling world and one that supports your community. So if you're new to audiobooks, they're a perfect way to get more books into your busy life. You can listen during your commute or while you're doing your chores or walking the dog or relaxing at home or at the gym. All you need is a smartphone and download the free Libro FM app. If you already love audiobooks and you don't know what to listen to next, check out the recommendations. There are very cool little curated lists from the people who know about audiobooks best local booksellers. And right now, Just the Right Book podcast listeners can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one month. So that's a pretty good deal. Just go to Libro.fm, L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter the code RB, you know, like right book, RB, to receive three audiobook credits for $14.99 during your first month of membership. So that's pretty cool. That probably gets you an audiobook. And with each listen, uh, you can feel really good and take pride in knowing you're supporting your local independent bookstore. I love Libro.fm. It's how I download my audiobook. So check it out. Onward. Wait, I have a question about a cheese tray. Is it important to have the right knife for the right cheese? Oh, well, y- yes, because you mm. don't... Yeah, I mean, you need a sharp knife if you've got like a delicious... A hard cheese. hard cheese, like a Conte or a Gruyere or a cheddar. Yeah, you don't want people struggling with right. that. You can also just cut the cheese, especially if you're serving it um, as a nibble a before post. a meal. Yeah. Um, as opposed to a, a cheese course, you can just have it all cut, and people can just pick small pieces. You know, one thing that I do uh, that I do once in a while that I've seen done in restaurants is, if I serve salad after the meal, mm-hmm. I'll just have a cheese on the table for idea. them to just mm-hmm. have on the side. Yep, that's when I must have learned that from somebody. Probably you. No, I. You know, but you were Jacques. You always, you always shortchange yourself. I don't think so. Yeah, I like to I read, so. not cook. Um, okay, now we need an entree. Oh, I, ha- I mean, a first, a first course. Yes. Right. Oh, oh, let's have a first course. I want, I want you to have a first course because okay. I want you to have the oven charred tomato stuffed peppers. <gasps> That's, there's a gorgeous picture. It's the it's a because it's a gorgeous dish and it's gorgeous no matter who makes it. So this dish for me is like the spirit of the everyday Dory um, cookbook because you can make it ahead, and I love make ahead things. You can serve it hot, warm, or room temperature, and room temperature is great, especially at the holidays if your refrigerator is jammed. Full. Yeah, so. It's peppers. I like a mix of yellow and red. Mm-hmm. Cut the long way. Um, what you see when they're roasted is the peppers kind of soft, and they kind of are hugging um, tomatoes, t- cherry tomatoes that have been cut in half and just put on top. But there's a secret layer underneath of breadcrumbs, herbs, 
lemon juice, lemon zest, and anchovies. And I love the an- anchovies. I love anchovies. But these, when the anchovies are mushed is the only word I can think of. Like mashed? Mashed. That's better than mushed. Yeah. Right. Into the breadcrumbs. You don't quite know what you're having. You cut the tomato, then the breadcrumb mixture, and then the pepper, and you taste it, and you think, mm, this is, what is this? There's some, and then you go back for more. Mm. And this dish looks beautiful when it goes into the oven. It looks gorgeous when it comes out. And it's really, it's not cooking. It's an arts and crafts project. Yeah, it's you're an assembly project. That's right. That's right. You're just <laughs> constructing something. So... So I have that first. Right. And now, okay, I have a lot of I have a lot of ideas for a main course. So give, what I like about hint. the tomato, let yeah. me ju- let me just um add something to that that you said. So one of the things to me that makes entertaining possible because Kevin and I do a lot of entertaining. I tend to pick the recipes. But I do notice that you don't want too many things that need to be doing something at the same time. And at the last minute, it's a recipe for stress. Right. So the tomatoes can actually be done earlier a couple in the day. of hours before dinner, mm-hmm. and then they're at room temperature. That's right. Okay. And, so you, and you can stuff the peppers and put them in the refrigerator and just pull them out and roast them when the oven's free and you're free. Okay. So this is a lot so of So that's simple. Ahead. I got that over and there. And it's beautiful. Yeah. And if you didn't serve the ricotta spoonable as a little nibble, you could pull it out and put a little dollop of it on top of each of the peppers. It's nice. Okay. There you go. All right. Okay. So give me a hint for a main course. You want to go so chicken? You want to go meat? It's the holidays. Right. Right. So I'd like something that feels a little festive. Okay. I don't really care whether it's chicken or I don't really care what it is. Okay. Maybe so, not a heavy meat. Okay. So I think you should have, um, oh, you have so many choices, but okay. Let's go with the holiday fish soup. Okay. So this is a dish that I... And it could be a main course. Oh, it's definitely a main okay. course. Um, like a bula base? No, it's much, much lighter. It's really a mixture of fish in a very light um, broth, broth that I spice with some chilies and some lime and ginger. And so there's a lot of flavor, but no heaviness. Mm. And I do think it's gorgeous. So I used to make this soup for New Year's Eve. And sometimes... We'll I put let, a let me, picture of this on the website. Right, so... In this version, and, and you can, you know, wh- whatever you have available, this has shrimp and it has mussels and it's got a piece of monkfish, um, but it could be a piece of cod, it could be a little lobster, it could be some clams, it's Does it whatever. It, that's right, it's a real mix it's and match. It's the broth it's and the, the herbs. And, and the idea of it. The be- it's And that would be nice with our tomato. It would be a beautiful meal with your yeah, your tomato pepper. Um, I love making this because it's a surprise. You don't normally get yeah. soup for mango, and it's really given that you're having a you know a little nibble in the living room, and you're having some champagne, or you're having a first course. You might be having a cheese course, and you're certainly going to have dessert after. We're going to get to that. It's nice to have this light meal. I once made this for. 26 people. Like yeah, I, invi- I just kept inviting people for New Year's Eve. But 
it's doable because, once again, you make the broth ahead, and then you just bring it to a simmer and put the fish in and then scoop it out. So you're only That's in the, really easy. Yeah, you're only in the kitchen for minutes at party time. So it's elegant, it's beautiful, it's delicious, it's practical. Fabulous. Now, would you have a salad at this meal we just made? Would you have it after? Would you skip it? I would probably skip the salad unless I had a Roxanne salad with a little piece of cheese. Mm -hmm. Or I would have a cheese course after. If I didn't do a cheese, if you didn't do cheese in the living room, yeah, to do a cheese course then, and then you could have some dried fruit. You could have some nuts. You could have. You could really, you know. Pretty up the, the, the cheese plate. Okay, now, now Dory, dessert. we need dessert, darling. Of course you need dessert. Now, the picture in the front, I don't know that that's easy to make, but the first picture in the cookbook, that's a picture I definitely want okay, on wait, the website. Okay, wait, I think it's, oh, wait a second. I think I know what you're talking about. Oh, my wait, God, wait. it's so gorgeous, Dory. Wait, wait, wait. Is, is it, are we talking about this cake? Yes. This is but the this one? this picture. Wait, let me see what picture you love. One second, I'll be back. Oh, yes, okay. What yep. is that? This is what this is is a great cake. It's a really great cake. This is the so gorgeous, and it's really holiday. It's the triple layer parsnip cranberry cake. Parsnip, parsnip, parsnip. Do you like carrot cake? No, not really. I don't really love carrot cake. It's over for us. (laughs) It's been so much fun, but see you later. Um, So I have a carrot cake that everybody loves, and. I've been making it for Is tw- that a carrot cake, the picture in the no, front? No, it's oh. the parsnip cake, oh. but it's yeah, inspired parsnip. by a carrot cake. So I thought it's about time after 20-some-odd years. I only think of parsnip in my mother's chicken soup. This has nothing to do with your mother's <laughs> chicken soup. Okay, so parsnips, when they're roasted or when they're baked, have a an interesting sweetness. They're not overly... Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They have sugar. They have their own, you know, vegetal sugar. Yeah. I'm sure there's a better name for that. But I wanted to make a new carrot cake. And so I made my regular carrot cake, half parsnip, half carrot. But the parsnips were so much better. And so this cake is parsnips, grated parsnips. And the spices are so good, so it's coriander, which you rarely get. Yeah, yeah. You, it's you don't you don't often see it alone. It's usually like in a gingerbread mix mm-hmm. or a five spice. It's mix all, it's in all my gingerbread mixes. Well, this is right because <laughs> so it's it's coriander, it's ginger, it has some tangerine um, in it. It's such a lovely mix of spices, and then it has chopped nuts and fresh cranberries. It's frosted with a cream cheese frosting, the mm-hmm. way carrot cake is. And then I thought, it just needs something really zippy. And so I made a cranberry jam. Cranberry jams by itself. I mean, you just put it in a bowl, in a pot with sugar and stir for 10 minutes and you've got jam. Yeah. And so this is a cranberry ginger jam that I put between the layers. It's a really good cake. And it's fun. It, it's a... It's because and it's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And it's beautiful once again by just because it's beautiful as it's constructed. All right. So I like our meal, Dory. I like our meal. Now, here's what I'd like to... May I just say you could make this cake tonight, put it in the freezer and pull it out for a Are holiday. you serious? Yeah. Okay. So now I've got this gorgeous meal. I'm very excited. I think I, think I can, you know, organize this properly. What's the key do you think, to entertaining 
that involves a whole meal? What do you think are the secrets aside from a great meal? What what makes it work? So as a cookbook author, I probably shouldn't say this, but it's not the great meal. Mm-hmm. It's never the great meal. It's the people who are having the meal mm-hmm. and the way. So I, I believe that the most important course is dessert. Not because I adore desserts, but I think that's the moment when everybody relaxes. relaxes. And it's the moment when you as a host can really mm. sit down and enjoy yeah. the people who are around the table with you. And so, of course, I mean, I never want to make anything less not than, a great, than yeah. a great meal. But it's really not the meal. It's really the atmosphere that you create around the table, the mm. way you encourage people to share their stories with one another. Yeah. And the food makes that possible. I like... For instance, if I were serving the um, the peppers, the tomato stuffed peppers, I might put the ricotta spoonable on the table just so that people have something to pass around and mm-hmm. to put – it's just – it's nice. Connective. Right. It's nice. It may, There's a little action at the table. People – you know, it starts a conversation. Yeah. And I like desserts that last – so I like a dessert that you can come back to. I might cut a small slice of the the parsnip cake and put the rest of the cake at the center of the table with a knife so that people can go back and take some and mm-hmm. let, let the evening just kind of linger. Yeah. You know, I find that one of the things that makes a big difference is if you're relaxed as the host right, and not... Oh, you know, I have some friends that are brilliant cooks, but uh, you you almost feel badly for them because it seems like it's such They're a They're working a big so lift. hard and yeah. Right. And and so I it does seem to me if the house is relaxed, mm-hmm. then everybody else relaxes. I, I couldn't agree with you more and it's also why choosing a menu where things can be made ahead is so important and really helps you because you're not doing, um, like for the the holiday fish soup, you make the broth ahead, which means you've had time to taste it, to say, hmm, you know, I'd like a little more lime juice in it or something. You know, whatever, that's right, it needs. So by the time you're ready for dinner, you know that everything is just the way you want it. And you can take a deep breath and enjoy having your friends. And that's the idea. So, Dory, I really want to thank you for taking the time and a busy schedule to come over and talk with us it's just the right book i love talking to you (laughs) i always have i always have so thank you for inviting me and uh we want to encourage everybody to you know feel comfortable about entertaining everyday dory will have something that they can do and then the book is everywhere uh, now all over the country it is and do you still have signed copies here for anybody who acts quickly we still have some signed Everyday Dory in the store. Terrific. So we'll do a link on the website. and That's great. Everybody's going to be happy. It's holiday. Everyone should be happy. This is the season to de-stress by being in the kitchen. Okay. On that note. There you go. We'll end our conversation. So good to talk Dory, to you. Dory, happy Thank holidays. You. Happy holidays, Roxanne. 
Thanks again to Dory Greenspan. And what are some of your favorite cookbooks? Let us know on our Facebook or Twitter pages or email us at info at justtherightbookpodcast.com. Just the Right Book Podcast is produced by Collisions, the podcast division of CRN International. Our original new music was created by Mark Berman. Our producer is Christina Torres. And our audio engineer is Pat Keo. Thank you all so much for listening.